There was uh, once a man who was skydiving, and uh, in the course of his jump out of his plane, uh, he did the appropriate counts uh, before he pulled his, uh, his ripcord, and uh, he pulled ripcord number one, and nothing happened, uh, just continued to fall. Got a little panicked, but he thought, okay, I've got to back up. Well, he pulled his second ripcord, and nothing happened. And then he got really panicked, because then he's just in a free fall. And uh, he's falling to the ground, and uh, just not sure what to do. Um, and all of a sudden, he looks from the ground, and he sees someone coming up at him from the ground. So that's weird. And so the two men, as one falls, and as the one um, rises from the ground, they, they pass each other. And the guy who's falling says, excuse me, sir, do you happen to know anything about parachutes? And the guy says, no, no, I don't, but uh, do you happen to know anything about gas grills? So, um, the, uh, the theme that we're going to look at today, I got a bigger laugh in first service, I'm just telling you, it's not that funny, but I get, um, maybe it's in the telling or something like that. So, uh, In life, there are things that we don't always understand, there are things that we don't get and involve ourselves in because of that lack of understanding. And the theme that we're going to look at here today is probably one that for a lot of Christian people fits in that category. And so we'll get to that in a second here, but let's just review and remind ourselves where we're at, where we've been, and because uh, I really want each week, I hope by the end of this six, seven weeks that we spend with these, these three words, that in your mind, we have given you an answer to the question that, that many of you put when we did that survey back in December. It's like, how do I plug in with what God's doing in the world, or what does God want for my life, for all those questions about purpose and calling that we all, <clears throat> excuse me, all wrestle with, um, and how do we answer that? And I hope that the things that we're sharing with you will at least give you an easy-to-remember way to say, okay, if, if I'm going to really think about this calling thing in my life, then these are the things, these are the thoughts I should probably have. We're using these three simple words, be, do, and go. Right? What does God want me to be? Um, what does God want me to do? And where does God want me to go? And by rehearsing those questions to ourselves on a regular basis, it helps us to think and be in line with, okay, this is who God is. This is what God's doing in the world as I read his word. And, and so according to that, what does God want me to be? What does God want me to do? And uh, or who does God want me to be? Excuse me. What does God want me to do? And where does God want me to go? And so we have been digging into that theme and trying to answer the question. Now, we're going to go through those three words twice because every one of us have a primary calling that, the, that applies to every follower of Jesus, no matter what your gifts, your talents, your story, whatever it may be, that God calls all of us to be and do and go things that are all the same. Uh, we're all in the same camp in these. And then we're going to come back after we finish the first three and do, the, do them again. Um, but we're going to look at them from a secondary calling, from a perspective, okay, in light of what God, who God has called me to be and what God wants me to do and where God wants me to go, inside of that are these unique giftings and callings and my story and my passions that, that God has uniquely woven into each one of your lives that fits into that foundation or fits onto that foundation of that primary calling and, and he uses that. And the goal of all of this is, as we said a few weeks ago, is to help you find that sweet spot, that place where your life connects with what God is doing in the world 
most effectively. Hey, we've used the old baseball, baseball bat analogy, but you can really fit it to anything, right? Everything that has a design and a purpose and a specified use for it, um, it's got a sweet spot, right? You, you, everything that you use, everything that's built, even your life in a relationship with God, that when we find ourselves being who God calls us to be, striving for that, aiming for that. If we're trying to do what God calls us to do, and we're trying to go where God calls us to go, we're just going to find our lives um, experiencing more. More of God, more of God's joy, his peace, his purpose, it, it just more of God's work in our life. And, and that's the goal of all of this. And so last week we answered the question uh, the B question, excuse me. Last week we answered the B question with the simple answer. At a basic level, what does God want for all, all people who name Jesus as Lord? He wants you to be a disciple. Now, that, we're going to answer that again in more specific into your life. But at a basic foundational level, God wants you to be a disciple. A disciple who is looking to Jesus, who is listening to Jesus, who is learning from Jesus, who is just daily trying to become more and more like him. And so we answered that of, of allowing the fullness of Jesus to move into our life. And we said last week that, that calling is found in our core identity overflowing into action. That's going to lead us to what we're going to look at today. When I am who Jesus calls me to be, the fruit of that life overflows into something, into things, I should say. But, but today it's going to overflow into something that God invites and calls all of us who are Christians, who are Jesus followers, um, to, to, to do. And so today we want to answer the do question um, with this idea. So we looked at be last week, we will look at, at do today. Be a disciple who is committed to helping make disciples. What does God want you to do just at a very basic level? If you were to come to Jesus and say, Jesus... I don't know what I should do with my life. And oftentimes we come to God with vocational questions or relationship questions or retirement questions or whatever, opportunity questions. Well, God, I don't know what I should do. Well, and God probably has answers to that. That's the second three we're going to get to, second three, three of be, do, and go. But I think at a very core level, when you ask Jesus the question, God, what do you want me to do? Well, as a disciple... He wants you to be committed to being involved in the process of making disciples. He wants you to be a person whose life overflows into the life of another person that helps them learn to be a disciple of Jesus as well. And, and that answer may not be the answer that you're hoping for. It may not be the answer of, oh man, I was hoping I, he'd tell me which job to take. Um, that's, that's really what I wanted to know what to do. But below that, those are important questions but I think below that, and more importantly to the Lord, regardless of which job you take, he wants you to be committed to this role of being a disciple who is committed to helping make disciples. And so when you and I look at that answer to the question of Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? Um, I, I think we have to wrestle with, okay, I don't like that answer as well, because that leads us, I mean, many of us, to a place that's uncomfortable. I read a stat a few weeks ago, uh, I don't know if it's true, I think it's probably close to being true, that 95% of Christians will never lead anyone to Jesus. That 95% of Christian people will never lead anybody to Jesus. And so when I read that stat, um, and I think about that and how it uh, plays out in our life, and then I preach a sermon that 
a calling for all of us who name Jesus as Lord is to be a disciple who's committed to making other disciples. I, I know that mentally some of us are checking out right now. Like, okay, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, and so I'm sure I, I know some people that are. And so maybe if there's 300 people here at church today, that percentage works out to like 10 people. And so I don't want this to be a sermon just for 10 people, although it may, who knows but if it is or not. But uh, that's up to you and me to decide, I guess. But I don't want this to be a sermon that's just for 10 people. I, I want us to, to understand Jesus' invitation and Jesus' call for us is to, is to be disciples who make disciples of other people. And so I want us to think about this theme today. I hope that you'll have an open mind as we think about this, and that you'll open your life to say, hey, this, um, this process, this thing that God, that Jesus wants me to do is not just for the select few, but it's really for all of us to be engaged in, to be involved in, to be intentional about in different ways in our life. This past week, I was at a convention and I ran into the wife of one of the guys who was attending, um, and she had been my youth minister when I was like a junior in high school, and so I blamed her for all the things that had gone wrong in my life, but it really, I had to thank her for a lot of good things that she did in my life, um, and so whatever that looks like, that, that disciple who wants to make disciples of other people, it looks like a lot of different things um, in different ways that we can plug into that, but I have to be at, at the first, mentally, spiritually, um, relationally engaged enough to say, you know what, I understand that Jesus calls me to be a disciple who is committed to helping make disciples. All right. And so in order to do that, in order to unpack that today, I just want us to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, it's the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is just inviting um, us to think about, okay, every verse before this has told us the story of Jesus. It's laid out who Jesus was, what he did, the incredible claims that are made about him, uh, all the story of Jesus. And these last few verses just ask the so what question. If this is true, then so what? What should our lives be about because of that? And so we're going to look at that so what answer that Jesus gives to us. And I just want you to read this, I guess, from the perspective of if you were a person just coming to this with a clean slate and you had no idea who Jesus was, nothing about the church or Christianity, and you just found Luke's, or excuse me, Matthew's account of, of Jesus, and you just begin to read, and you just begin to read all these stories of, of who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he's saying, and, and uh, a lot of amazing things flow through that. Um, he's leading us to ask the question, what, so what? If this is all true, then so what? What should we do about that? And so I just want to look at three verses here to start us with here today. Um, verses 18, 19, and then verse 20. We're going to look at them, kind of pause with each one, and just think about the implications of the so what. All right? And so let's look at verse 18. Listen to what Jesus first says at the conclusion of his life, his ministry, his involvement with all these people, his miracles, his teaching, all this stuff he's done. And he's crucified, he dies, he's buried, he rises again, and then this is the last um, parting shot that Jesus leaves his disciples with. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let's just stop and think there, okay? He makes the case that because of everything that's happened before it, all authority is now given to Jesus this is a summary statement that just re reminds us of all that Jesus has said and done, all the things you have read, all the things you have kind of processed. 
All authority has been given to Jesus. And as you read through the, the account, the journey that Matthew leads us on to think about the life of Jesus, we just read people where, or situations with people where, where Jesus has authority over sickness and he meets people that are lame and he makes them walk and they're blind and he makes them see and they're mute, he makes them speak and they have all these issues and he, he just shows his authority over, over disease, of sickness and um, doesn't fix everybody but he, he just shows that I have authority over this and so all authority is given to him, all authority over creation um, the, several times the disciples are, are in boats. You would have thought the disciples would quit getting in boats eventually, but every time the disciples end up in a boat, a storm comes, and Jesus is either in the boat with them, taking a nap, or he walks to them on the water even more miraculously. And there's this just amazing claim that just with a word, the storm ceases, the, the storm, the, 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 the seas calm. And, and he just shows his authority over creation Jesus meets supernatural beings, angels and demons, and all of them respond to his voice and just shows us that Jesus has authority over the supernatural. And finally, the last third of the gospel is all about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it just shows us that Jesus has authority uh, over, over death and sin that leads us to death and, and the grave, and, and he's victorious now. And so Jesus just stands in the presence of his disciples now, having demonstrated all that he is over, and he just simply reminds them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so he puts them in a place of, they've all seen it, they all have witnessed all this stuff, and they just have to agree that, yeah, there's, we've seen all these things come against you, and nothing has overcome you, nothing has been able to stand against you. And so all authority is given to him. And so in verse 19, then, he, he gives us that discipling mandate. He says, okay, if, if there's this group of people who believe, yes, Jesus is authority over all things, he's the guy, he's Lord. And so there's this discipling mandate that comes out in verse 19. Uh, he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The heart of that verse is that discipling part, right? Other things are, are verses that talk about how do we make disciples, but, but the heart of that verse, Jesus says, Okay, because all authority is given to me, I'm sending you out now. I want you to go, or as you go, as part of that, maybe the way you phrased that, I want you to just be disciples who are committed to making other disciples at the heart of that verse. That you have just witnessed the most amazing thing in history. You have met the most amazing being in the universe. Now, you believe in him. Now go and, as disciples, be committed to this process of making other disciples. And so he calls them to that. So what's a disciple? Let's just define that really quickly for our, so we're clear in our minds. A disciple back then, at least, was a, was a person who would attach themselves to a teacher of any kind, not just Jesus, any kind of teacher who would go and teach, and, and they would hang around, they would travel around with that person, they would listen to them, they would pick up the things that they said, their, their take on certain issues, they would just follow them around. And so the goal of that and, and the product of that was always that if the teacher was removed... You could tell who the master was by the way the, the students would answer questions or would act or behave, the things they did or didn't do. And it reflected um, the teacher, even, in abs even when absent, it, re reflected on, it affected, it showed in the life of that student. That's a disciple. 
And so I'm, I'm old now. I'm looking, the older I get, the more I go places. And my dad and I look alike, apparently. Because uh, everywhere I go, you're David's son, aren't you? Yes, I am. God bless him. He's a good man. I'm glad to be his son. But I don't know them, but they know him. And they know, they see me. They go, oh, wait, I know who you are because you resemble him. And so that's that disciple thing. Um, and actually, my wife teases me. I don't know if she's teasing. Maybe she's just angry. She says, you're acting more like your dad, too. It's like, I don't know if that's good or bad or not thing. I think, yay, David Reynolds. I'm a David Reynolds, too. So, yay, David's. Okay, we'll stick with that. I'll take it as a compliment. Um, but there's things that we act like each other, all right? We look like each other. We speak like each other. Um, and that's the disciple idea, that even when Jesus is not there, what it means for me to be a disciple is that people can look at my life and listen to me or be around me and they just pick up on, well, you've, you're kind of one of those Jesus people, aren't you? They may mean it as an insult or a compliment, but they, they identify who you are because of, of your life and your, your speech and who you are and what you do. And so making disciples in that phrase is the, is the controlling verb in that sentence. The other phrases shape how we make disciples. Um, think with me in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus would say things like this just to back up the whole idea of the teacher uh, like the master idea. Jesus would say this to the Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, in other words, if you stay in it, if you're in it, you're listening to it, you're learning from it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So how are people going to know your disciple? You're you, Reflect upon, you reflect the, li- the words of, of Jesus through your life. John 13, 35, he would say this, uh, by all this all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so there's this disciple that I, that's how I reflect who my master is, is by the words that shape my life and by the love that I have for people um, as I grow in that and strive to, to pursue that. And so Jesus says, I want you to be my disciples. And as disciples, I want you to be disciples who are committed to making other disciples. And so the responsibilities of that, Jesus walks through there and uses three little other phrases that are attached to disciple making. He talks about going, and you could take that word going as a command, as they do. There's some command force to that word. It could be go, therefore make disciples. You can also read that word as you go, make disciples of all nations. And that implies that some people are going to have to go to other nations to make disciples if that's going to happen. And that's a good thing, and that's a God thing. But it also means that the as you go thing maybe means just as you're right where you are. As you get up and you go from here, you are mindful of the fact that I am a disciple who's committed to the process of making disciples of other people. And that may happen over lunch today. That may happen over the course of your week through your workplace and in your home and all different places. But as a disciple, I'm committed to the journey and the process of making other disciples. And so there's the going part of this. There's the baptizing them. And Jesus makes the case that as, as you go, you're going to meet people who come back to verse 18 and they see who Jesus is. And they think, this size authority over all things, including me and including this world. And anyone who wanted to be a disciple should want to do this. In the context of the whole story of Jesus that Matthew has laid out for us at the conclusion of his book, our response is simply to say, I believe in the authority of Jesus over my life. I embrace that. I fully trust that. I surrender to that of his authority over my life and says to the world that I belong to him. He is my master, I am his disciple, and I'm going to be his, and I want my life to be shaped by him. We join the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're joined into a new identity, a new family. Um, 
and those things. And finally, that last phrase of teaching, that ongoing learning, that ongoing listening, learning, um, that some of you who are older now in your faith, um, as you open God's word, there's never a day, I hope, that you don't think, man, I, I never saw that before. Boy, I, I needed to hear that. It's always shaping, always working in our life, that ongoing teaching relationship to God's word and God's people. And so he calls us to be disciples who are engaged in the process of making disciples. In verse 20, he, he comforts us, though, because you look at that and you think, what a task, going to the nations and telling them about a man they've never heard of before and, or even going to your neighbor and talking to him or her about someone they've never heard before or they, they've heard random things about, but helping them to know the Savior. That can be a scary thing, and you may feel like, there's no way I can do that. But Jesus comforts us with these last words. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was with his disciples personally. When Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit shows up. And so God's presence is always with us to help us in this journey. Many of you feel like you can't be a part of this disciple-making journey. You can't make this commitment because of all the insecurities and fears and, and the lack of, make the list of, and, and it's just like, oh, I can never do that. I'll just leave that to the 5%, 10%, whatever that is. I'll just leave that to them because I don't know how. And yet God says, you don't go into this alone. You don't step into that journey alone. Uh, I will step there with you because he cares about this part of your life with him. And so what does it look like then for me to start that journey of doing that? Um, I have good news. Matthew didn't just tell us about Jesus and his miracles and what he has authority over. Jesus, Matthew, as well as Mark, Luke, and John, also interact with us about how did Jesus make disciples? How did he interact with those who were closest to him in a way that prepared and equipped them so that when he was gone, they would turn the world upside down? And so Dr. Robert Coleman, many years ago, 50 years ago or more now, wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism in which he just went through and just kind of jotted down many of those themes, those traits of Jesus that allowed him to disciple or to, to pour into the lives of other people. And I'm going to put a list of eight things on the screen here for you, and, and this is, we're not going to go in-depth into any of them. Um, but I just think looking at the traits and saying, is that a trait that's present in my life? Is that something I think of as, as I navigate my life? And for a lot of us, it, it's a simple matter of beginning to look at life through these lenses that allows us to begin to engage and to be a disciple who makes disciples of other people or aids in that process for other people at the least. And so these eight things... Um, the first one I probably, and I'm going to have some verses that aren't going to be in the screen, so if you've got a pencil handy, you might jot them down and look at them later. Um, we can't look at all of them for time's sake, but um, these eight things are things that come out of his book and, and others we could probably look at, but the first one is this, it's all about Jesus. If I'm going to be a disciple who makes disciples, it always has to be about him, right? It's not about me or my political views or this or that, it's always about, okay, this is Jesus, let me introduce him to you. And that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, not in an arrogant, egotistical way, but if you're God, who else are you going to point people to? He drew people to himself. And so in Matthew 16, 13, I think the best place to summarize that, Jesus stands with his disciples in a place, um, in a place full of idolatry and other gods, and he just asks them the question, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And that leads to that beautiful confession of Peter, which is, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what he wanted him to draw conclusions of as he watched Jesus' life. It's all about Jesus. He was always leading people to wrestle with who he is and what they should do because of it. 
And so as you interacted with people in your life and relationships and um, just learning to think, oh, what does this person think about Jesus? You don't have to be rude about that. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be condescending to ask somebody the question in the course of a conversation. Um, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, maybe he comes up in the course of conversation. What do you think about that? And just listen and begin to know where people are at um, and pointing them to him. Number two, intentionality. Um, Jesus was intentional to draw to himself a group of people that he intentionally wanted to prepare and equip um, for what would happen. You can start in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Um, it's the story where he calls Peter and John and later James and others come. And, and it says they intentionally sought them out, come and follow me. Now, a lot of people follow Jesus, but there was this select group of people that Jesus was intentional to say, come into my inner circle, come closer to me. Because I want to invest in you, I want to, to share with you, I want to build you up and prepare you um, in a special way. Now, he loved the masses. Uh, I mean, a lot of times we read Jesus and we're amazed by the masses, but most of Jesus' ministry was focused on the minority. It was focused on that small group of people that he would oftentimes retreat with and be intentional to pour into their life. Relationships are key. Um, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, echoes a little bit of what Matthew's doing as he's calling his disciples. But in Mark's version of that, in Mark 3, 14, it says that he appointed 12 of them to be apostles so that they might be with him. Just the relational term of come and, and be with me, hang out with me, uh, walk through life with me, listen to me, um, see what I do. And so relationships, um, someone has said, I may have been Coleman, I, didn't, I forgot to write down who said it, but relationships are the incubator for discipleship, that relationships are the incubator for discipleship, and that if you were to look back, who has influenced your life the most? It's people who built a relationship with you. It's people who drew near you, who loved you, who walked with you through good and bad times. Those are the people who probably have the biggest impact upon your life. That relationships are the incubator. They are the train tracks that allow uh, this God movement to work. Teaching was a part of what Jesus did, of course. Think of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, think of Jesus telling the parables in Matthew 13. Uh, he told the parables to the masses. But then there's this verse in Matthew 13, 36, where after the stories with the masses are done, Jesus' disciples come and said, explain that to us. And so he would sit down with them and say, hey, let me tell you what that means. There was just this teaching idea that the word of God must always be a part of, of what we're doing. Modeling, certainly Jesus, who's a better model than Jesus, right? And you and I can't be that, but, but we can certainly strive to model that. Over and over, Jesus would say, I'm doing this because you are going to do that. I'm a servant, so I expect you to be a servant. I wash your feet, you wash uh, Others' feet as well. That modeling of Jesus never asked them to do what he wasn't willing to do for them himself. But he hadn't shown them, this is exactly what I'm calling you to do and to be. He was proactive. Uh, and by that, uh, we mean the idea that he sent them out to try things. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, He gathered his disciples to him and he sent them out with authority to preach, to teach, to do all the things that, that he had been doing. And then he brought them back at the end of that chapter and said, How'd it go? Uh, what was really good, what was really bad. And, and he was proactive to, to help them try and to grow at different things. Accountability um, certainly goes with relational part of this. Um, it's, in the context of relationships, there was accountability. Uh, we, we, we quoted the part earlier where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And 
Peter gave the beautiful answer. Hey, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just a verse or two later, um, remember what Jesus calls Peter because Peter's now talking about, hey, I'm, I'm going to go, being the Messiah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be rejected, killed, crucified. And what was Peter's response? No, you're not going to do that. And Jesus calls him what? What do you call him? Satan. Yeah, get behind me, Satan. All right, so there's, some, there's a word for you if you want to hold the killer accountable. Get behind me, Satan. All right, so there's some accountability, right? Jesus wasn't afraid to hold his friends accountable in this process. Again, in the context of relationship, he wasn't, a, he wasn't rude. He wasn't a jerk. He just held them accountable to say, that's not right, Peter. Uh, you're wrong there. And, and finally, just with the goal towards reproduction, and that takes us back to Matthew 28, verse 19. He wanted the 12 to be ripples in the pond that would spread and create more ripples and in ever-growing circles around the globe. And so those are some of the traits that Jesus just employed as a disciple maker. And then as you watch the disciples begin to grow and, and begin their ministry at the book of Acts, you see many of those things begin to be reproduced in the lives of of the church um, as they employed what Jesus had done for them. And so where does this land in your life? Um, some of you may are still pushing back on that thinking, well, there's just, that's just not for me. I don't know how to do that or what that looks like. Um, but what is Jesus calling us to do? He is calling us to be a disciple who is committed to helping make disciples. And that may look like different things in your life but I just want to ask you some questions as we finish here that just allow you to think and uh, kind of process this as I do in my own life. And so I'll ask you this question first. If Matthew 28 verse 18, which is the verse that Jesus said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, if that verse is true, what should I as a disciple of Jesus be doing about that? If all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, what should I be doing about that? My life should reflect that truth, if that's really true, if I, if I believe that to be true. Number two, do you have enough faith to believe that God could use you to do this? Um, I think this is where the catch happens for a lot of people. Do you have enough faith to believe that God could use you to be a disciple who helps other people become disciples? Do you really have the faith to believe that God could do that in you? And some of us, the greatest thing that God could do for us, if we would let him, is to work through our view of ourselves, to see the capability that with the Holy Spirit in us and God's word guiding us and a few friends helping us that, that we can make a difference in the world for Christ and the courage to do it and the willingness to let go of the world and, uh, and just move into that, being a disciple who is committed to helping make disciples. Number three, what environments are you putting yourself in that are helping you grow as a disciple? What environments are you putting yourself in that are helping you to grow as a disciple? If you're going to be a disciple who helps other people become disciples, you have to be in a place where you're growing as a disciple. Um, and so maybe that means, are you putting yourself in environments where you're quiet with God and his word individually? Or maybe that means I'm meeting with another person or two and there's just a few of us that we're helping to grow or, or I'm in a class or I'm in a group that's helping me to learn and grow. Um, in fact, if you want to... Uh, Grow as a disciple, the best thing you can do to grow as a disciple is embrace that statement and start doing it because as soon as you start to engage, opening your mouth and saying things, trying to help people, they're going to be challenged. 
with things you don't know. You're going to have to go dig in. You're going to have to grow through that. And, and um, I think people who are probably growing most in their Christian walk are people who are committed to being a disciple who is helping other people become disciples because that's where you grow, right? If you teach the class, you learn more than a lot of other people who take the class, right? Because it's just a work in you that God is doing. So what environments are you putting yourself in that are helping you to grow as a disciple? And so I'll finish with this. I think I've made a, my February um, New Year's uh, resolution. I'm going to show you this picture once a month, at least throughout the year, because I think this is such a simple thing. How do you start this process? I showed it to you back in January. I'll show it to you here again. Uh, hold me accountable to March, April, May ongoing, okay? How do you start this process? It can be a scary step, right? So where do you start? And I love this. And I'm going to keep coming back to it because I think, just to think, where's the starting point? I think this acronym of BLESS does it. It gets us going in a direction that is um, doable, it is um, small steps, but effective steps. It's begin with prayer. In the morning, you wake up. Okay, God, it's a new day. I don't know how to really do this thing very well, I, I, so I need your help. I need you to, to just pray. As I pray through my day, God, whether I'm going to work, whether I'm in the carpool lane, whether I'm at school, God, I just I want to be a disciple today. I want to show Christ. I want people to see that, hey, that guy's been hanging, that gal's been hanging out with Jesus. I want them to see something in my life today. So begin with prayer. And then you listen with care. And you walk out your front door and you listen to people as they talk around you, they talk to you, uh, and you just hear people as they begin to talk about their life and their stories. And if you're listening carefully, you're going to begin to find connecting points, questions that they have or struggles they're going through. Um, and then this is the best one, right? Eat together, right? Who doesn't like food, right? You get food and, and Jesus. It's a great thing, right? Eat together. Uh, one of the things, if I, did, I probably should have added this to the list of things Jesus did to disciple people is he ate with them. How many times do you find Jesus having spiritual conversations over food? And so if you're looking for an excuse to blow your diet, here you go. I just gave it to you, all right? You can have a salad if you want, but, but the eating, right? We're all relaxed and we're eating together and we're sharing. And there's just a comfort level. There's relationship that builds over food that is beautiful and good, all right? And so eat together, but not just eat for eating's sake, but eating with purpose, right? I'm eating because I'm building relationship. I'm listening and, and sharing and then finally, as God begins to work those things and you begin to see and, and know, hey, this is where this person's at, um, serve with love. Again, that relational thing, the model of service that Jesus showed. Um, why were so people so quick to listen to Jesus? Is because Jesus served like nobody. Um, he just served people. Um, and it opened up a door just into people's lives. And so serve and then share your story. Um, and this is the part that hopefully is ongoing, ever-growing. This is what God's doing in my life. I see this problem in your life. I see this struggle in your life. This is how God's helped me with this. Let me walk with you and, and, and share what I know, and, and we'll learn and grow together. But um, I, I want to bless your life. And so I think this starts as an evangelistic thing, but I think it also works in a discipleship thing as well, that as we help each other to grow, I don't think any of those things would cause us to stumble in that process. And so um, I just share that with you to encourage you um, because I hope this is not a sermon that only 10%, 10 of us in this room or the last two services have get. I hope that everybody sees that when you ask Jesus the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? Jesus wants you to be a disciple who's committed to making disciples of other people and uh, that we will embrace that. As scary as that may feel and seem to us that we will embrace that and we will walk with the Lord 
in that process. And so we're going to build on that. I was like, don't, don't, we're not done yet. We're going to build on that, what that looks like and, and how we do some of those things in weeks to come. But I think the commitment is where it starts. God, I'm committed to being a disciple who is committed to making disciples of other people.